Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I said it right this time. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and I'm joined by only Kev Pogzelski this week. Kev, you can interpret that only however you like, but you're here. Vito's not. How are you? I'm good. I must have missed you getting something wrong in the intro last week, but... Uh... I just didn't say the name of the website that I've been editor of for about five years properly. Don't don't worry, it was nothing major. Um, how are you keeping anyway, Kev? It's it's going to be a bit of a struggle without Vito for the second, not the second week in a row, but the second of three pods that were without him. And it's it's always a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it gives me a break from chewing everybody's ear off. And uh, on the plus side, we don't get to play the game, so. Yeah, you always have to upset me by talking about your happiness of not playing the game. But Vito did have his wisdom teeth removed, so he's not really in the mood to speak. But he's been he's been working away behind the scenes of FIF, getting a lot of articles done. So Vito, we know you're listening. I hope you're feeling well soon, and you can start eating steak and pizza and pasta and all of those things before you know it um i did chat to him briefly before coming on and he, he said kev that he's he's got serious cravings for pizza and pasta that he just can't satisfy right now i think we've all been there right when when you're sick and you can't eat you want everything vito's going through that yeah. right now well yeah of course i i had coronavirus and uh, lost sense of taste and smell and i felt like crap and the worst thing was i was trying to sort of get that you know, make myself feel better with food. And because I couldn't taste any of it, it was even worse because you could see what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that must really mess with your brain a little bit. But anyway, on, on to the football. We do have some new features coming to the site, which I will talk about in just a moment. But just before we start, I'm going to run through all 10 of the Serie A results this weekend. And I need to take a deep breath because, oh boy, there were some good ones in there. 
Um, it started at the conventional time of 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Lazio beat Crotone 3-2. Took a late goal from guess who, Felipe Caicedo, to win it for them there. Then Atalanta beat Spezia 3-1 also on Friday evening. Saturday's games saw the entertainment continue. Sassuolo beat Verona 3-2. Again, late drama. Dusan Vlaovic scored a hat-trick as Fiorentina won 4-1 away at Benevento. And Udinese and Genoa drew 1-1 in probably the most predictable result of the round on Saturday night. Sunday picked up basically where Saturday afternoon had left off. Bologna beat Sampdoria 3-1. Fabio Quagliarella scored his ninth of the season. Kev, hello. Inter beat Torino 2-1 with a late goal. Parma went a goal ahead, then they went two goals ahead, and they only bloody held on. They beat Roma 2-0 in a result that was great, not only for them, but for Atalanta as well. Juve beat Cagliari 3-1 away on Sunday evening, and people think that was an adequate response to getting knocked out of the Champions League in midweek. And then the action finished with Napoli winning 1-0 away at the Stadio San Siro, beating AC Milan, who are in... I don't want to say free fall, but given how good they were to start the season, they're not too far off it. Kev, while I recompose myself and get a breath, what was your highlight of the weekend? Oh, um, probably the way that uh, Casado took that goal for Lazio. Because it started the week off so well. Strange time for the for the weekend's fixtures to kick off. Mm. And I think he just... Um, because it, it was obviously a shot, um, but you've got to make a judgment at that point, whether you sort of lift your legs to get out of the way, but he took it expertly, turned and uh, fired past uh, Cordes. I'm just going to say Cordes, assume he was in goal, and I'm pretty sure he was. I'd assume so. Um, I would assume so. But anyway, the new features that I was alluding to are, we're going to be starting a new weekly roundup article every week of the of Serie A Feminile, Feminile, it's a difficult word to say, Women's Serie A and the Women's Coppa Italia as well. We're going to be doing weekly pieces on those. Ewan Burns is going to be taking those on for us. And Vito Doria is going to be doing a weekly piece on the Primavera. So if women's football is your thing or youth football is your thing, we will cover you there on that as well. And I'm hoping to get an interview with a Fiorentina player in the coming week. So keep an eye out for that as well. The, um, I don't know if you saw the Coppa Italia women results this weekend, but there were some two big ones. So it was the semi-final first legs and Inter beat Milan and it was their first ever derby win. First ever. There's only been about five or six games, but still. And Roma beat Juventus in the first leg of their game. And it was the first time Juve have lost to an Italian team since March 2019. What a run they're on. So yeah. Uh, nothing changes between the men's game and the women's game. Juve dominate Italian football. Good to see. Kev, you look like you've got a question already. Yeah, good. obviously before we came on, I said I don't I don't really get too involved with watching the, the women's game. But obviously even now, I realise that Juventus are this kind of one of the dominant forces. Mm. The only thing I find a little disappointing um, when I speak to people that are... Uh, more up to date, you know, more informed about the women's game is that because of maybe the long-standing nature of the clubs in existence, you've got this scenario where almost you've 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 got these seven eight clubs across Europe. You've got I think it's your Wolfsburg in Germany, your strong sides like Chelsea in the UK um, that almost look set to 
form this group of clubs, almost like this Super League that Andrea Agnelli is wanting kind of the Champions League to become. And some have said you're not really going to get around that because for the women's game to 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 sort of get that popularity and exposure, they need that investment from the big clubs. But that's, you know, that was all I was just thinking about as you were really rolling off Juventus not losing for two years. Okay, fair enough. Well, you and Birds' piece, first piece is up on the website now, so head over and have a read of that. And then Vito's will be coming on Tuesday morning European time because there is a game being played on Monday afternoon. But going forward, they will be hopefully up on Monday morning. So do keep an eye out for those as well. On to the Serie A then. Let's start where the action finished, Kevin. It was at the San Siro. And I mean, this was a game that had flashes, but largely could be nicely viewed in a four-minute clip just showing the last four minutes of the match, or at least between the 88th and the 92nd, and then showing Politano's earlier goal as well. Matteo Politano did score the only goal of the game. It was a nice one. Napoli beat Milan 1-0, and that is a big result for both teams. Obviously, for one, it's quite positive, and the other, it's it's the opposite, but... What did you make of this one? Were you like me in that the the last 10 minutes had you gripped and everything else was just a bit okay? Yeah, everything else was just a bit um, sort of, I suppose underwhelming might be too strong a word. Uh, and Politano, the only thing on that goal really was the, the scuff in the shot with his weaker right foot probably helps him. I think um, Donnarumma is, is waiting to be sort of driven at and sort of setting himself. But it, I sort of, it was a hard-fought win for Napoli, but you know, at, at times anyway, certainly towards the end of the game, but not not in the sense that it was kind of a snatch and grab. It was just that you know the pressure was as expected coming from Milan towards the end of the game, and I'd been saying probably 10, 11 weeks ago that you're waiting for that blip to see if Milan can recover, and it appears that the blip is now coming so late in the season it's less about whether they can recover and will, whether they will just snowball into, you know, a catastrophe and even maybe drop out of the Champions League places with Atalanta and Napoli still going strong mm. and Roma with the potential to keep pace, not necessarily burst in, but if they can keep pace and Milan were to sort of really nosedive, then you'd be a little bit concerned for them. But um, yeah, the last 10 minutes you had the... You know, unless you've got a different view on it, I thought it was uh, a dive from Hernandez for the penalty. Yes, it was. The angle they were showing on the on the UK broadcast made it almost look like the when um, was it Bakayoko? I can't remember whoever it was. Who was I can't remember who it was either, to be honest. Yeah, when he put his foot almost down on the floor because they were doing it for almost from an aerial shot and Hernandez was sort of falling to the floor. It made it almost look like there'd been contact to make his leg fall to the floor. And I thought, oh my word, they're going to give that because of that. But it would have been incredibly soft. And then you have him chasing down uh, Victor Osserman. You know, a reckless challenge. Um, and I say this even if you don't go to, you know, you don't go to ground like Hernandez did. It makes it look much worse, but... It's, um, you know, you probably remember the horrific scenes when uh, Hummin Son uh, sort of just tripped Andre Gomez for Everton a couple of seasons mm. ago and he had this sort of terrible... It, it wasn't as 
um, sort of reckless a challenge as Hernandez is was, but they both they both because the player is bursting away at pace have the potential of you know if you fall awkwardly they were doing some real damage. I, I was just surprised that he didn't get a red. Obviously, Gattuso got booked in the aftermath of that, and then a couple of minutes later, clearly for something uh, he said, anti Rebich sort um, got a red card, and um, yeah, it sort of breathed a little bit of life for the last ten minutes into the game. Yeah, well, we've got to kind of unpack that because there was a lot in there because you started with the Teo Hernandez dive and it was a dive. It, I I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say this, but contact does not mean a foul. And just because somebody touches you does not entitle you to throw yourself to ground like that. And I think Teo was probably well on his way before there was even the slightest touch on his sock. But yeah, that foul that he made on Aussie on man, I thought it was really reckless. And isn't that part of the, the the rules? If a challenge is considered to be reckless like that, it, it could possibly be a red card. But I have to say, I, I thought there was some strange officiating in the in the Palmaroma game today, but hats off to Fabrizio Pasqua because he was told to go and check his pitch side monitor for that penalty. And how often do we see them overturn decisions seemingly under pressure once they check that pitch side monitor? And I do think it's something that, should become normal for referees to look at the monitor and say, no, I was I was right in the first place. It wasn't a foul. And I do have to say credit to him for that. But yeah, it was all a bit chaotic. I think Rebic was absolutely brain dead to, to make a comment. And it was telling there's an angle where you can see him mouth something. And then the referee turns around and flashes the red card. Rebic doesn't even flinch. He just no. keeps walking. He knows he's said something. So he's quite deliberately said something to the referee, knowing he's going to get sent off when his team have, what was it, four minutes of stoppage time left to play and they're trailing. It was yeah. unforgivable. And not only that, he's now out. So that's probably going to be, what, a two-game ban, maybe three? So he'll miss Fiorentina next week, which obviously would have been quite a big game for him. And then the following week, he's going to miss Sampdoria at home. Okay, they're games that Milan should probably win, but given the number of absences they already have, they they don't need that. And we spoke about it last week, Kev, but I'd be going Roy Keane on, on Rebic in the dressing room after that one. Uh, yeah, maybe not as much as I would be on the uh, for the last handful a um, couple of weeks earlier, but... Um... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's got a spot at a music festival somewhere up the Riviera. We don't know. Um, but the, the the one thing on going back onto the Hernandez penalty uh, instant, it was so quick. It was so yeah. You know, his foul happened so quickly after it that I reckon maybe the ref was still just blinded by embarrassment after falling over. Oh, that was, how funny was that though? But yeah, but then he had to go to the camera. So he's he's got every he's he's just fell over. Then he goes to the the video monitor, and he must have still been thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, over. and he can't have been thinking clearly. Like, am I going to give this penalty? And then they're going to show clips of me falling over again. And it's like <laughs> it must have been a horrific couple of minutes for him. Yeah, it wasn't great. And Mario Rui, I think he's done that on purpose. I don't really, but it was it was just very funny. Very, very funny. Because I think I think Pasqua was injured after that. Because he was kind of hobbling about a little bit. And I think if it wasn't already in stoppage time, I think he'd have gone off. And to be honest with you, I think this just kind of shows why 
very, very often players like Teo Hernandez, not in the incident that he did go down, but they do go down. Because if they're charging at full speed, a little bit of contact can actually hurt you, you know? But obviously when he was stepping out of the box, he wasn't galloping at full pace down the flank. But Kev, credit to Napoli. They've had their difficulties. Politano got a big goal, and this is a big, big win. They're right in the conversation again for the top four, like you kind of said, but just to put some numbers on it, they're now on 50 points. They're they're two behind Atalanta, and they're level with Roma. Obviously, they have a game in hand over both of those teams, which will be played against Juve, not on the 17th of March now. It's been moved again to the 7th of April. And... If they can keep getting results like this, you'd probably have them as, I don't know, would they be favourites to push Atalanta? Well, they're certainly favourites to push to push Atalanta. I think um, even with Juventus' uh, win this weekend, I think that's a fairly even game. You know, sometimes you look at teams mm. that have got a game in hand and you think, oh, it's against the top of the league or it's against the bottom of the league, that's winning or that's losing or whatever. Um so yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you just wonder if they do win next week against Roma, and it is at the Diego Maradona, I believe. I'm gonna make which next week against Roma, Napoli are at home. Sorry, no, there it's in Rome. Napoli are away against Roma and Juve. Okay, that's the bad. To be honest, I can still see them winning, and but and that actually even worse. So then, I think if if they were to take those points from Roma in the capital. Then you could see them, you know. Then it's a top five, if you like. We've got breaking away, and one of those sides dropping out in the Champions League uh, race. Mm. Yeah, well, I, sorry, I wasn't expecting you to finish speaking so quickly, and I was kind of in a bit of a daze because when have you ever stopped speaking quite that quickly? But we'll move on. Inter are top because they beat Torino. 2-1 away from home. Lautaro Martinez header late, late on. I think it was the 85th minute, one up for them. It took them a long, long time to even test Salvatore Sirigu in this one. And then Romelu Lukaku put them ahead. Inter, or not Inter, sorry. Torino leveled quite quickly afterwards. And then Lautaro popped up. And Ewan actually did the report on the post-match for this. His post-match is going up tomorrow. And he basically made the point that Lautaro's goal could be potentially decisive at both ends of the season come May because he also said this and you also said it off air but it's a cliche but that is the kind of win that champions get yeah because um, obviously they, they, into the first half looked like they, they kind of thought they could comfortably win it in the second and, and I kind of expected them to come out and, and there was just no real urgency from them it was one of those performances where more than a few players are a little bit below their below their best, and if they do go and draw this game, uh, it's maybe what starts giving hope to the other sides around them. Maybe particularly Juventus now that they are out of the Champions League, um, and then it's you know, and it's largely because of the opposition. If if that was to uh, happen last week and they would come away with a draw against Atalanta, albeit at home. You'd say, you know, it's a solid point. You know, Atalanta are a good side, but against Torino fighting for their lives, people start to just probably form unnecessary questions because they've looked they've looked relatively strong. But yeah, to to get the win, it's the old, um, you know, performance worthy of champions. And I I really like the Lautaro header just because of 
where it came in from, going slightly behind him. Um, he had to focus on getting enough power on it and also directing it past Sirigu. Um, and it you know, certainly was um, deserving of giving them victory. He's so good in the air, isn't he? Yeah, for somebody who doesn't appear that tall, mm. um, I don't know whether it's just because physically he he plays alongside Lukaku. Again, I'm not even sure of the heights of these two players, but Lukaku's got such more of a physical presence. Then sometimes because Sanchez is almost the uh, the player that kind of comes in and out for those, you link him so much more closely to Mar- Martinez that you know they're both. He is he is small in stature. Yeah, and you kind of put him in that sort of that same bracket as that. Uh, mobile. Well, I've got the numbers for you, Kev. So Alexis Sanchez is 1.68 metres tall. Lautaro Martinez is 1.74. So he's only, what, what's that, six centimetres taller than Alexis? And then Lukaku is 1.9 metres tall, so quite considerably bigger than both. Sorry, you're taking a drink. That was good. (laughs) I I I suppose it's all about the leap, isn't it? Yeah, and Lautaro's is impressive, and I think you're right. He doesn't look like he should be good in the air, but he, he really is. He scored a fair few headers. And even if we're taking headers out of it, do you remember the goal he scored against Atletico Madrid? So it was a preseason friendly, and they were opening the Wanda or something, and it was a ball into the back post, and Lautaro flew in the air. It was like a flying kick. It was beautiful, beautiful. So the signs have been there from since the very, very beginning that he's been good in the air and not necessarily always with his head. But that was a big, big win for Inter, who are now... Oh, look at that, Kev. Inter are nine points clear at the top of the Serie A table. We had a bit of a disagreement last week over Inter's lead at the top and how many points they'd eventually win Serie A by. I know it's early, but I said... If you said nine points maximum. I said it'd be more than nine points. And you said it would be Milan fewer than nine points between them. And I said, Milan won't finish second and Inter will finish nine points minimum ahead of whoever finishes second. Do you want to change anything there? No. You need to stop stop making these arguments with me because Quags is on nine goals. (laughs) Yeah, well, this time last season, uh, or maybe even a little bit later in the year, would we have thought that Inter would finish a point behind Juventus? Because I think with this big gap now, they can win the league early and I think... Because of the season we've had, I think this year more than any other, if a side wins the league with two or three, um, and and oddly enough, possibly because of Conti, the way he's a sort of a very pragmatic coach, he'd be looking for next year and thinking, let's get my players a break. I don't think so. Well, what with the Euros? So it's like, let's let's try and give these players the best possible start, bearing in mind that there's going to be a European Championship. So that's where I think that, you know, sometimes in an ideal world, if everybody's pushing at 100% all the time, yeah, then a big margin can come in. But I'm kind of taking the approach that you will drop a few points once. Okay. Uh, things have been secured. Right, well, on that, I'm just going to throw this back at you. I don't really believe it, but I've kind of got to say it. Well, if Inter finish... If Inter win the Scudetto when there are four games left, they've won the league by 12 points. I don't care about the final table. If they've won it with four games left, that's four by three, 12 points. They've won it by 12 points. If they win it with six games left, which they obviously won't, they've won it by 18 points. That's the way I'm looking at it, which I know isn't true, but... No, because you said they'd finish. <laughs> they would finish. Yeah, and the league finishes when the, the team... Inter's league finishes when they win the league. 
I don't think that is how leagues work. No, it's absolutely not. But I, I did say at the top, I don't believe what I'm about to say, but let me have it anyway. Um, what's next? What is next? Juve. Oh, we've got to talk about this, don't we? Because Juve went away to Cagliari and they won, I believe it was 3-1. I kind of stopped paying attention after a while. They did. They won 3-1. Cristiano Ronaldo scored a hat-trick in the first half. Um, we've not spoken since Juve got knocked out of Europe. But... I think it's fair to say that Cristiano Ronaldo deserves to take a big chunk of the blame, not only because he was anonymous in, I guess, both legs, with the exception of a penalty appeal in the first leg in stoppage time, but not only was he anonymous, he actively went against Juve because he was put in a wall late on and he turned his back and opened his legs and guess where the ball went? It went through his legs and it went in. So he's come in for a lot of criticism after this. And people basically just started saying things that most people have who have watched Juve over the last five years have thought anyway, which is that not pointing fingers at Cristiano Ronaldo, but his signing was a failure. And I think we even said it on this podcast last week. His, his signing at Juve is a failure. And that's not because he hasn't been good. He's been brilliant. But Juve are not as good as they used to be because of his arrival, which isn't because of him. It's because of the club. And he scored a hat-trick against a team in the relegation zone and all of a sudden thinks that that is... Like, everyone's going with this narrative line that he's he's responded to his critics. No, he hasn't. His critics are saying that he hasn't done it for Juve in the Champions League. Not that he can't score a hat-trick at will against a... A basement dweller in Serie A. I have to <laughs> check myself there. But Kev, he did that celebration as well where he like cupped his ear after scoring a third. Is he forgetting that he should have been sent off? God, um, how do I unpack all that? Um, <laughs> fill in my own thoughts. Okay, so um, let's start with midweek. Um, the wall was a shambles, let alone Ronaldo's. Place in it. Yeah, right. The walls are shambles, but if Cristiano stands, he blocks it. Yeah, well, if they all stand together as well, you know, that being that, the performance from him was, was bad. Um, let's leave that in the near past-ish. Um, you, you know, you say about the cup end of the year with the third goal tonight. Um, I was kind of a little bit <sighs> let down. I'm over let down by uh, Ronaldo. The way that he goes off and does his traditional look at me, mm. what they would call that spin and throw the arms down um, with the first goal, you know, because even before he scores the hat trick, it was almost a you know, look at look at look at look at what I, how good I am, you know. It, it's it almost to say what happened midweek, you know, I'm doing what I am doing, and you would say that he has been. An, an absolute success on the pitch in Italy for Juventus. You know, but to his credit, even in even in the Champions League, before this Porto time, he was the only player who had scored a knockout goal for Juve in the Champions League since he signed. And then Chiesa obviously smashed it against Porto. Yeah, yeah, and you'd argue, um, was it the hat trick against Atletico yeah. last year, year before? You know, he was doing his job there because he's he's saving them, and then it's up to the other players to help push them. Again, that sort of that little bit, that little bit further. But I suppose, in a way, and you can't really get away from the 
the Ronaldo and Messi comparisons because it's you know it's followed both of them their entire careers. You'd like to see a little bit more humility. Um, Messi after Champions League defeat. Are we really doing this? Defeats. Well, no, but but he's kind of. It looks as though the it looks as though he takes the collective burden on. You know, he doesn't know then go and score a goal and give it the whole. Yeah. You know, shut up, look at me. You know, that's that that's that's what I mean from you know. Okay. Okay. And being a teammate, he looks like it. It looks like it wears on him slightly longer than it does Cristiano, where Cristiano uses the first opportunity for a personal triumph to almost say, "Look at you know, look, I you know I can do this." It's what's around me which is the problem. Mm. Whether that's the quality of the players or the setup that didn't get the best out of him in midweek, and and that's what you'd like to you know that's what I'd like to see is just that today almost he would have scored a hat trick and it would have gone without the year cup and without the sort of you know the grandiose celebration of the goals and and still looked like he was hurting from midweek because it didn't look like he was hurting from midweek. It looked like. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I was hurting on Wednesday, but now it's like, look at me again. It's you know, yeah, I'm doing it was yeah. more of a how dare you question me rather than a it was bad, you know? And there is a difference. There is a big difference. And but it's not a surprise, is it? No, it's no, it's not. I think it's it's in his character and there's things in our characters that, you know, we do from time to time. You know, even we don't like. I'd like to think that maybe he goes back and privately thinks to himself, uh, it probably wasn't, you know, probably wasn't the best look doing the cup in the However, he's 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 never gonna come out and say that, or even sort of apologise for anything he does, because you know, look how far is the, the you know his character's got him in the game. Yeah, well, there was that. I, I'll never forget the twenty fourteen Champions League final when they played Atletico Madrid and Atleti. Were, were dead on their feet for the whole of the final. And they were 1-0 up until stoppage time. And Sergio Ramos scored a really good header, to his credit, to send it to extra time. And he just knew after that, all right, Real Madrid win. Because Atleti don't have enough energy to walk off the pitch. Never mind to play another half hour. And then I can't remember who scored, but then Marcello scored. And then... In Bale. the one Bale and Marcello, right? And then in the 120th minute, Cristiano Ronaldo got his goal, took his shirt off, went to the corner, did his big. All the photos were Cristiano, you know? And But then mid- midweek, you know, yourself, um, and plenty of other prominent people, uh, sports writers on Twitter were, were expecting that to yeah. be the narrative of, of the Porto game that he'd. You know, he'd be completely invisible for most of the game, and and as soon as they sort of got it level at two one, that he would pop up with the winner. Obviously, it didn't. It didn't happen. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I we say obviously it hasn't it hasn't worked. It's worked for Ronaldo, you know, performances and stuff. It's not worked for Juve to take him over the line in Europe. You, you know, you have to really look into the numbers to work out how much of a success commercially it's been because they're playing him a huge amount of money. Um, everybody, you know, any time, any of this, you know, which all started with, with Real Madrid, with the whole Galactico project where they would, they would suddenly um, produce all the shirt sale figures. So how many people had bought mm. a Cristiano, you know, a Ronaldo or a Beckham Zidane shirt. And then you actually look at the, you know, what you've got to look at behind those figures is actually have the shirt sales gone up, not just who they're getting on the back. Because 
for every Juventus fan that's gone into the club shop in the last couple of years and put Ronaldo on their back, it's probably because they've stopped putting Dybala on there or Matuidi or all these other players that have left over the years. Higuain, probably. I forgot um, about Blaise Matuidi. Yeah, I don't know why he came into my mind all of a sudden. Um, but that's where you've got to you've got to really say that this has been a vanity project and nothing more. And again, I'll go back to Messi for one more time. You've got the contract situation with Messi at Barcelona and the likes of PSG and Manchester City are seriously thinking about you know what can be done because it will only be a vanity project now mm. for the next couple of years. And that is... That is what Ronaldo was for Juventus. And you just need to own it and say that is exactly what it was. You know, we knew we were going to take a little bit of a loss, hoping that, the, you know, commercially the figures were going to allow us to get more advertising and stuff. You know, they've probably not taken anywhere near a loss as suggested because, you know, somebody came out with this a million euros a goal that it was costing them because it doesn't take into account the increased mm. uh, commercial commercial contracts and things that they've won but it has been a vanity project probably for both him and them as well because he has this whole wanting to want it win another Ballon d'Or wanting to be a player that's won you know leagues in the uh, in England in Spain and you know and all this um, but yeah nobody can call it uh, an overwhelming success for either side really now there are talks coming out of the Madrid press which is quite curious that he might even end up going back there. Personally, I don't see it, given that they're determined to sign Mbappe in 2022 and probably Haaland before that. It's It's got to be Paris, then MLS for Cristiano, right? Yeah, you would Yeah, you would think. Again, I don't know. The, the problem is, is that a lot of them, because of the depressed market um, and numbers of some of these people, you know, some of these players still assume that they can, they can get... Um, if 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 people are having concerns about whether they can sign a Messi type or you know Messi or you know or people can take Mbappe off of PSG's hands because he looks like he's agitating for a move away from PSG almost having won everything mm. with them. You wonder whether they've got it in them to 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 go the the Ronaldo route. Um, yeah, and then I'll, you know before we finish, I suppose we should probably get onto the fact that. He, probably shouldn't have been on the pitch even no scored. I mean he Goal. assaulted Alessio Cranio he there was a loose ball in the box and Cranio came to claim it and Cristiano stuck his boot in caught Cranio in the face with the underside of his boot left them all bloodied and cut up and this was at 1-0 I don't understand how he didn't get sent off I I cannot for the life of me understand how he stayed on the pitch it was a horrendous foul yeah I think it's one of those where the goalkeeper's diving so maybe because I know did did it go to VAR? I can't remember. I can't. I can't recall if it went to VAR. I don't think it did go to VAR. But the goalkeeper dives. So it almost looks like the goal goalkeeper's diving. I suppose instinctively you think the goalkeeper's dive towards his feet. But actually, when you look at it, it's a bit like when the uh, they class an elbow now as like if you've brought it above your shoulder mm. level. And Ronaldo's foot actually makes contact above his hip. Mm. And he, and he's jumping slightly off of the ground as well, so it's well above, if you like, the the general hip level for all the other players on the pitch. So it's it, it's endangering the opponent. And where the ball is too, the ball's going out of play. You know, it's I I felt very very um, angry about it because I do not understand for the life of me how that is not a red card. 
Yeah. It was dreadful. Like one of those that you see and you kind of feel a bit woozy after watching it. But then I don't think the penalty was a penalty either. Because the penalty is one of those, but where you said earlier, it's like any con- you know, any contact in the box does not constitute a penalty, a free kick. Um, I don't know, even, even as much as five or six years ago, that's one of those where the player is doing his best to get contact with the ball towards the goal and bracing themselves for contact uh, because you know because there's there's milliseconds in the two players coming together mm. but now we're in this scenario that we discussed a few weeks ago where the player is now just looking to get any contact on the ball and avoid any contact because as soon as oh well, sorry and get any contact because Ronaldo almost leaves his legs straight but make sure he gets some contact on the ball I think he like toe pokes over the bar mm. or because he knows then the contact instantly is going to draw a foul where he probably can score if he goes you know he probably scores without the penalty if he goes at it in the other um, with the other sort Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out Mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, look, we've got to say, we've got to move on. Um, Roma did another one of them, and they lost 2-0 to Palma. It was Mkhitaryan a couple of weeks ago that you got angry with in their win. He won a penalty like that, and Lorenzo Pellegrini tried his best in the first half to do the same thing, although he didn't manage to get any contact from a Palma player, so... Somebody didn't get booked for a dive. I don't know what's happening with some of the officials this season. But anyway, Palma, they won 2-0. Valentin Miala and Dennis Mann both started. And what a surprise when Gervinho's not on the pitch. Palma looked twice as good as when he is on the pitch. Graziano Pella finally started. He really does exist. He's not just um, an esports signing or something like that. He's a real player. And he played very, very well. But Gaston Brugman in the middle was phenomenal for Parma. And I never thought I'd see him put in a performance like what he did. And it was all more, all the more important given Yurai Kutska's absence as well. But Kev, this is huge. And it doesn't all change all that much at the bottom of the table yet. But I do think that it will. 
because Parma are now just th- just one point behind Torino. Sorry, Toro do have two games in hand, but Parma importantly are three points off Cagliari, and it's getting a little bit interesting given the fixtures that we went through last week. Parma have three of their next five are very winnable, and we had kind of written off Roma and two others, and I think they play Milan too, which now. You think they drew at Milan when they were dreadful and Milan were good. Now, Parma might do something. I'm expecting Parma to get between seven and nine points from the next six games, the next few games. And I don't think anyone else down the bottom will do that. Cagliari, maybe, just because of Semplici. But even the likes of Benevento and Spezia might be at risk of dropping back down into things. You could possibly say Genoa as well, although I'm not so sure about that. Kev, am I crazy to think now that both Parma and Cagliari are going to stay up? Uh, it still looks a little bit like a battle for those for one place from the from Cagliari, Torino, and Parma. But there's always one team every season. There's one team that just falls. Yeah, and I, I think you know because I I kind of have Genoa because they, they they just look a little bit more robust now. Um, but the concern would be, like you, like you say, for that team that drops like a stone, if if just some doubt sets in with Spezia and Benevento because mm. they're you know newly promoted, um, what I'd hate to see them do is really go against kind of their style of play that has has got them plenty of points because they do play some nice football. And I think you know you just think one of them would suddenly start trying to defend games almost from the you know just defending a point from the from the opening minute and then just start throwing games away and then getting dragged down into that relegation fight. But it is possible um, without looking at the fixtures. It's just interesting to see if they've got any, if they can get a couple of wins, then maybe that will allow Spezia and Benevento not to sort of get themselves dragged in. To be and quite so- honest with you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if anyone in the bottom half of the table went relegate, got relegated. Anyone. I think Samp and Bologna will be okay. But the rest of them, I wouldn't be surprised because a team does always fall. And we joked earlier in the season about, oh, Genoa are winning games early. Did they do it too early, Kev? Well, well, they won. Like, they won certainly in the, in the first week was like four one against somebody. But <laughs> yeah, I think that was it for Genoa, and then they were they were dreadful. And I, you know, I worried about them for some time. And I worried about them mainly because I want travel to open up and I'd like to actually get back for another uh, Derby della Lontana but um, <laughs> I know I, I think I think at, at the moment under Balladini um, they'll have enough confidence in, in themselves staying up it's it's everything from Spezia down I think is it's looking a little risky okay okay fair enough Um, if we're going from there I think Benevento are in trouble and to be honest I do anyway because Filippo Zaghi. He is a very, very good Serie B coach. A very, very good Serie B coach. He still has a lot to to prove in Serie A. We saw him with Bologna; he was a disaster. Milan, I'm fair. I'm I'm willing to just write that off and say that it didn't happen because we saw Milan over the last decade, with the last thirteen months excluded, difficult to do anything there. But people on Zaghi. I'm not 100% convinced, and I do think that Benevento are unfortunately going to be in trouble. Also, the, there's been a bit of a fallout in the dressing room there. A couple of the important players have had a falling out. Schiattarella, Insigne, I'm not sure the others, but there there was a fallout. Apparently, they they kissed and made up and had a, a 
a, what's it called? What's the I know the Italian word, but I can't think of the English word. A survival pact where they're going to put all their differences behind them and try to stay up, which is nice, you lads. <laughs> literally what you're there for, but okay. I'd be worried about Benevento, worried about Torino, and oh, one of the Ligurian teams. I just don't know. I just don't know. Crotone are done, though, right? Yeah, they... Um, they yeah, if you first watch them at the start against Lazio, they actually they play some they play some decent football. You know, we've been saying this all season. Mm. For the three promoted sides, they play some good football. It's just... They just don't seem to hold it together often enough. Um I keep, I, I, all I look at Crotone now, I just think, who's going to grab Simi? Because he, he looks like he could do a, do a job for uh, quite a few um, of those sides at the, the lower end of the Serie A table that could just look for a... He's not, he's not necessarily a traditional target man, but when the ball goes up to him, it sticks. He looks like, he looks like he'll score enough goals. Yeah. It, 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 it's... Yeah, so that's all I've got left for Crotone really this season. Is to wonder if if he can get him. I think the better he can perform towards the end of the season, he might get a move to a side. Macias as well. Macias, you'd expect will get a move in the summer. But yeah, Simi, Simi did this last time they were up. It, it was Simi and Cordads, and just about just about that. Like there wasn't much else. But yeah, Crotone have played some nice stuff this season, even under Giovanni Stroppa at the beginning of the season. And his sacking recently, which came what two weeks ago was a bit of a surprise. Cesar Cosme has come in in his place and, I mean, don't fancy him to do too much, right? He's a, he's a comedy character, but... No, I, I love Cesar Cosme. Everyone does. Yeah, his accent. I, I, I stumbled over some Italian program online and um, but I, I sort of listened to him for about three or four minutes, you know, probably picking up eight to ten Italian words but I just got I was like wow hasn't he got a great because obviously they dub over him everything I see on British broadcast hasn't he got a great sort of voice he's got this gruffly oh yeah anyway sorry that's my little loving with uh, Cersei Comsmith (laughs) fair enough a lot of people (laughs) just for you I'm not sure I'm not even sure what it is you like about it because you're listening to someone dubbing over his voice. So is it the person no, doing the dubbing? No, this was when I. This was probably one of the. This was this week was probably the first time I'd heard it without someone dubbing over it. And ah, I thought, okay. And I thought, oh, that's that's just a great. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's accent, region, or whatever way he talks. And I just, I was, I found it very fair, therapeutic on the ears. Fair enough. I mean, we all have things like that that just kind of activate some of our senses and I guess Sousa Cosme is is what does it for you Kev I'm just trying to see where he's born because I, I don't know where he was born he's born in oh my god where's that Umbria do you know what I only know about two people from Umbria so I can't place his his accents Perugia is the the I can only think of Italian words. The, <laughs> the county that he, he's from, I hate when this happens. There is a certain thing that happens when you live in a country where English isn't the spoken language and you start to experience words that you didn't experience when you lived in an English-speaking country that regularly. So then you only know them by the Italian or the Spanish or the Portuguese, whatever it is, word. So then when you've got to think of it in English, you can't do it. There's a lot of um, fruits and vegetables that I never ate at home, but I eat in Italy. And now, for example, carciofi. 
I I love Kartoffee and I can never think what they're called in English. I can never think of what they're called in English. I've got it now. Yeah, but that's fine. Because I think there's 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 terms that um you hear, you know, German, Spanish, Italian speakers use because mm. the you know, the, the country of their birth has kind of adopted it because they never had a word for it. And yes, mm. often you know, sporting phrases or, you know, football soccer phrases. Yeah, it it just makes you sound a bit stupid, or it makes you when like when I'm speaking English, if one of those little things pops into my English, I then sound like I'm not speaking my first language, <laughs> which is nonsense because my Italian's dreadful, so it shouldn't be influencing me like this. But it, there we go, it does anyway. Nobody cares, do they? Back to the Serie A. We're kind of almost finished, but not really. You watched Lazio Crotone. We were kind of touching on Crotone's side of things there, but this is. It, it turned out to be a big win for Lazio in the way that it came, but it shouldn't have been because they, they should be seeing off Crotona quite easily. But it did take a Felipe Casado late winner, 84th minute, which I suppose is quite early for him. He's usually about 10 minutes later than that. But Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Luis Alberto had scored and Simi had got two for Crotona as well. But Kev, after level with you, it was 3 o'clock on Friday. I didn't watch this. Yeah, well, I only sort of um, because I was able to sort of watch it alongside doing something else. But Lazio, Lazio, Lazio should have um, had a bigger margin of victory. They let themselves down certainly straight after the break. Um, they were defensively there all over the place, and then conceded conceded the penalty equaliser. And I saw a tweet from somebody shortly after the game, which um, kind of said that. Lazio were frustrating because they they so often in games show you how good they can be. And I, and I thought that that's kind of brilliantly summed up how they've been for large portions of this season. You can see the quality there. You know, they've had a, a group of players that have been together for a long time, so they should know, you know, how each other are making runs and stuff. And if you were a Lazio fan, it must be frustrating seeing that they've got it in them, but they have so rarely produced it this year. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Was it Alistair McKenzie that was tweeting this? Because he was quite annoyed by this whole match. I see quite a lot of Alistair's tweets, but I, I can't, I can't confirm nor deny that it was him. But let's say, yeah, it was. Fair enough. Uh, Alan, right. I don't know if he'll be pleased or not that you remembered him and then didn't remember him. But Atalanta is still fourth. They beat Spezia three-one also on Friday evening. Mario Pasalic, I'm very happy for. Because he's had a, a difficult season. He was out injured for a long, long time. But this was the perfect game for him. When a team are quite difficult to break down. And it doesn't take like nice, subtle footwork. It just takes someone forcing their way through. Pashalic is good for that. And he got to. Luis Muriel scored a beautiful goal. As he does. And he did his dance. And then Roberto Piccoli scored to make it 4-0 to Atalanta. Although he didn't. Because... He scored for Spezia. He's on loan there, of course, from Atalanta this season. And he scored. He's now scored away to Atalanta, away to Roma, and away to I think it's Milan. If it's not Milan, it's Inter this season. He's doing quite well for himself. Kev, you look like you've got something to say or ask. No, I um, I was, I was, I was checking the score because I thought you just said that Atalanta won four one. I thought I've written that down again wrong, but no, it was three. <laughs> so, it was three one. Yeah, three one. I made a joke oh, I, about it being four 0 but no. okay. No, yes, if um, 
Yeah, if I was going to say anything, it was probably the the Lewis Muriel goal. It was um, <sighs> another stunner for me. It's the way he. There's no particular pace on on it, but he curls the effort so so high and at the angle that it's far enough to the goalkeeper's left and high enough above him and dipping at the right time that it goes into the top corner with the goalkeeper knowing that there is no point diving. So he kind of just watches it in, which was which was mm. beautiful. It reminded me, and I know that this isn't going to be a goal that everybody remembers, but Atalanta and Roma fans certainly will. So by extension, maybe Lazio fans will as well. But last season, in one of the last normal games, um, Pashalic came on against Roma for the last few minutes and scored with his first touch about 12 seconds after coming on. And it was the same position and it was the same little arch on the shot where it curled up and into the top corner so, so perfectly like that. Um, but yeah, it was a, a good result for Atalanta. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of um, when somebody plays a almost a ball kind of over-the-top stroke around a defender just so it's got enough backspin on it so it falls into you know an onrush in the strikers. But obviously it was too high. Just the way he sort of clipped it, he did that sort of little... Very little backlift and just sort of spinning the ball. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, people that are listening, go out and take a look. Yeah, I do. And there's not a lot of things that Serie A do well, but their YouTube channel is actually one of them. So head over to that and watch. They've got nice four-minute videos of everything on there. What else? What else? What else was there? Benevento lost 4-1 to Fiorentina. Dusan Vlaovic scored a first-half hat-trick, which seemed impressive until Cristiano Ronaldo went and did it in 15 minutes fewer um, but Kev, this is a a nice, important win for Fiorentina. Vlaovic is coming into, I mean, quite a nice player this season for them. Yeah, and guess who gets my player of the week over Cristiano? So I mean, it's deserved. He was fantastic. He was, yeah. It's um, if if Fiorentina can get everything else right and create enough, even half chances, because this is what a couple of these were. They sort of just fouled to him, and he. He was just ready. He was ready to pounce. He was in the right area. He took his goals, and that you know, and he he always looks sharp from that aspect. It's kind of maybe they don't create enough. And on the flip side of this, that was what Benevento's problem was. Um, and when we were talking about them maybe struggling later in the season, they were far too passive at times, despite having lots of the ball. It was quite even where you were looking at possession and kind of chances going forward, but not. You know, Fiorentina created the more clear cut, and mm. uh, Flavic is his, his all round play looks impressive at times. But now he's getting even more clinical in front of goal. Um, could be a big year next year if if Fiorentina, <laughs> what we say every year, got got other things together. Um, yeah, well, Vlaovic is going to sign for Juve or something. Ribery will tire, and it'll all just go terribly wrong for them again, probably. But I hope not. I would like Fiorentina to be decent, but they do just seem like they're very far away from that. Well, they'll buy a load of Asian stars again. I can't remember who it was. Um, well, I know the three players. It was uh, Ribery, Bonaventura and Valera, because I think he came off the bench. Callejon as well. Yeah, and they were saying that they're all they're all in their mid to, well, early to mid-30s. And it's like, wow. Can you really replace that quality with the money Fiorentina have got? Um, a depressed market, unless you go out and buy 
more aging aging players um, and you never really know what you're going to get mm. <sighs> alright sorry you keep kind of catching me off guard Bologna beat Sampdoria 3-1 this was Muzabaro, Matthias Svanberg and Roberto Soriano scored I had in my head that Nicola Sansone did as well but of course he had his goal ruled out for offside late on Fabio Quagliarella got his ninth of the season he needs just four more and then he can have an early summer. Kev, are you? Um, I'm not even going to ask. Are you getting nervous now? Because you're more than happy to to succeed here. But are you resigned to the fact that I'm going to win yet? No, because I I still think that uh, his his scoring rate, you know, is a bit up and down this season. So he could quite comfortably go on a four or five game uh, streak of not scoring, and then suddenly, you know, the score a hat trick. Down your uh, forehead or score a hat trick, but I think I'd still win if he then did that and didn't score again. But if he went four it's... games, didn't score, and then scored a hat trick, he'd score one more. Well, maybe you know, he might down tools because you think, Oh, a hat trick, I'll go out on a go out on a high. This was more depressing than anything else because Why? Of, um, when I went to Bologna a couple of years ago, it was against Sampdoria, uh... it was a lovely sunny Easter weekend and it looked quite nice and bright uh, at the Dellara and it made me miss being able to travel and watch uh, football again. Well, if it's any consolation, I had the same feeling during Palma Roma because Palma Roma is um, one of the best games I've ever been at at the Tardini where Palma actually beat Roma 2-0 last season there as well. And it was just a really nice time. I remember I met a couple of people in the press box that I hadn't meet, met before. No, actually, what's his name? The Sky Sports presenter, the Scottish guy. Oh, um, with the yellow tie on deadline day. Yeah. What's his name? Oh, he uh, was there anyway, and he ended up sat beside me. No, it's um, I I know it, but I can't think of it. He, he ended up sat beside me, and he had arranged to speak to Chris Smalling after the game. So he, I was kind of helping him out around the place and he was like oh come and you can come and speak to chris with me if you want and i was like yeah perfect so got a nice exclusive for the for the website on that so that was good so speaking to chris Mullen, great atmosphere at that one as well a big big palma performance on the day kutska and kuluzewski in particular i remember oh it was one of the best games i've seen since moving to italy to be honest which is rare for like a 2-0 home win right but it was fantastic just a good experience too uh who are we how are we to know Five, six months later, we don't even be dreaming of things like that again. But Jim White, Jim White is his name. Yeah, um, I saw him, uh, I was watching a documentary about Justin Fashion and Jim White was interviewing him when he was at Hearts. He ended his career at Hearts, apparently, which I didn't know. Mm. Justin Fashion, not Jim White. But uh, yeah, he's not really aged too much. No. <laughs> we digress once again. Yeah, how do we get there? 55 minutes in. Uh, what is left? Sassuolo Verona 3-2. Two of, um, I suppose you could say, the hipsters teams, although I hate saying that because it basically just means these are two teams that are good to watch but most people don't know about. And Sassuolo came out on top. It was kind of... Verona were always kind of playing catch-up here, right? Locatelli scored after four minutes, then Darko Lazovic equalized just before halftime. Filip Juricic scored after 51 minutes to put Sassuolo back in front. I went mad as if he had scored the winner in the 85th minute. He had his top off and everything. By the way, ripped. I did not see that coming from Filip Juricic. But anyway, if you've not seen it, go to Sassuolo's Twitter account and look at how ripped he is. 
Federico Di Marco scored again because he keeps scoring goals and making Inter look silly. But then, Hamad Traore, Junior Traore, Hamad Junior Traore, whatever you want to call him. So that's what I'll call him Junior. So we'll go with that. Um, Ahmad's brother basically scored a late winner, capping off a good week for, for the two of them, given Ahmad scored a beautiful header against Milan in the Europa League on Thursday. But Kev, this was fun. Yeah, I um after the game, I, I I was torn between whether I was a little gutted that Verona didn't get more out of the game, um, but then also that Sassolo probably did shade it uh, because the Verona goals, as as much as they really put up a you know a good show, um, Lazovic was was oh, criminally unmarked, you know, just left mm. a wander to the back post and he it's Sassuolo, isn't it? Well, don't, worry about, don't worry about that. He's in the box. Leave him there. But they've done so much more going forward that they probably deserve to get that break at the end because it was a really scrappy, scrappy corner. And actually, that that Juricic goal, I really liked because it was that whole the the defenders coming across. If he if he decides to pull his leg all the way back, he's not going to get a shot off in time. Mm. So he does that little toe poke. That it's it's quite different, but the one thing it instantly reminded me of is the 2002 World Cup, where um, the semi final Ronaldo, the original, um, I think scoring his second, decided to toe poke to keep catch the keeper off. But he was on the edge of the box. It wasn't you know it was quite a similar position wise as Juricic, but it's that piece of improvisation which you know you probably does don't get from some footballers that has got him that goal. So maybe that's why he was so ecstatic, but maybe he'd just been in the gym all week and uh, wanted to show that body. <laughs> At least he did it for an important goal, though, Kev, right? And not the fourth and a 4-1 win in the last minute. Anyway, anyway, the last game, I believe, that we haven't mentioned, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right, is Genoa won, Udinese won. Goran Pandev scored, and so did Rodrigo de Paul. But... Unless you have anything to say about this, I don't because I didn't watch it, to be honest, because as I said during the week that you'd want to be having a word with yourself if you're planning on sitting down on a Saturday night and watching Genoa with an Aze. Well, if you were in the UK, they didn't even broadcast it. So <laughs> okay. you, you, you would have struggled. But um, because, of, because something similar happened uh, at Lazio, quality-wise and you know goal-wise, if you're a fan of um, Panchev. Pandev. Pandev. God, I tell you what, I was really struggling with that because I started thinking of Darko Panchev and I think now I can't even remember what the name, the forename is of this person. So yeah, Goran Pandev. Um, it was a what lovely are you talking turn- about? The goal. <laughs> okay. Go and check out the goal. It was a lovely turn. He sort of, what, what was like a, a really powerful shot, took it first time, spun and got a goal. That's about the only the only good thing of this game. Because so the- go watch the highlights of Genoa yeah. Udinese, or at least the first highlight, because it was eight minutes in, so it's going to be the first thing that happened, right? Yeah, it's the only thing I think that happened first. Okay. Um, right. Before we finish, actually, I, I do want to point out something. I got a tweet during the week, and sometimes, you know, when you get a random tweet from an account you don't follow, you kind of think, well, what's this? Why are you, why are you tweeting me this? And I, I kind of thought that at first, but... I got a tweet during the week from a football podcast called The Football with Flynn Show. I've never heard of this podcast. And I saw it and I was like, well, I don't know what that is. But anyway, the, the, the tweet read, 
episode 13 of the Football with Flynn show is, and sorry, episode 13 of the Football with Flynn show. Flynn is the big 12 today. In this app, Flynn looks at all the evening's Europa League games, um, talking about United AC Milan. And then he said second in England versus second in Italy, which I, I suppose it was at the time. It's not in England anymore, right? I think Leicester are second, but I don't know. I don't know. We're not here for that. And then he said, who, who will win? And then add me in. So I went and watched the video. And I've got to say, Kev, I don't know if you've seen this, but I retweeted it. And his taste in football shirts is phenomenal because he's wearing the... He's a 12-year-old kid, by the way. And hats off. He's a very good little podcast host. I think he's got a big, big future ahead of him. And he's wearing the the Napoli Argentina shirt. He's got a David Silva Real Sociedad shirt over his shoulder. And he's got football books along the front. I think he's a very, very talented young lad. So did you watch this? No, I only saw your reaction. Um, I may go back and find Do. it now. Um, yeah. So everybody listening, go over and go onto Twitter and you can either type in the football with Flynn show. Flynn is F-L-Y-N-N or go to at football underscore Flynn. Give him a follow. Watch his videos. He's a lovely guy from Donegal too. So he's got a very nice accent. If if anyone has ever heard, someone compared it to Patrick Kendrick compared it to Rory McIlroy, but... He's from Donegal. He's not from that part of, of the country. He, he, a bit more of a Seamus Coleman twang to his voice. And it's great. So head over, watch his videos, and just give him some thumbs up because he's doing really, really good work. And he's putting out videos, as well, which is quite impressive for a 12-year-old kid. My God, I feel old, Kev. Do, do you think he knew Napoli would be wearing their Argentina kit? Probably. I mean, he knows everything. You listen to him and it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, at at that age, his memory hasn't gone like mine. That's true. (laughs) This is true. Um, What age did your memory go at? Oh, I don't... I I reckon 35, maybe. I started feeling... I started feeling that as I learnt something else, it was replacing something that was already there. (laughs) You know... Not not crucial things like pin and you numbers. um you joined the podcast at what age thirty seven thanks for that <laughs> anyway Kev we've somehow rambled on for an hour and two minutes just the two of us so say goodbye goodbye everybody and read our women's football stuff too goodbye everybody speak to you soon.
mai nessuno li potrà fermare sono forti e sanno lottare fanno gol sempre gol del campionato sono la gloria forza parma forza parma questo è il grido di battaglia forza parma forza parma Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 